This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Comma Sense Marketing. And the author is Jacob Levy. And Jacob joins us from Tel Aviv. We welcome him to iUniverse Radio. Hello, Jacob. Hi, good to be with you. Great to have you with us. You're going to take us to a new level of thinking about marketing. Uh, there's been a lot of trends through the decades, uh, changing more and more to the, I think, to the needs of the customer. Uh, but at the same time, you're talking about love, <laughs> love. Absolutely, and you don't, love. Yeah, you don't hear about love in the business world too often, uh, do we? No, you don't, but you hear customers discuss about love and describe their feeling towards the brand or the corporation or the store. I love shopping at Bloomies. Ah, yeah. Why, why, do, why are customers able to use the term love in describing their feeling towards brands and, co- and corporations right. while the companies themselves do not? Well, it's, you hear people say, I love my iPhone. Absolutely. I love. Why can't we use it? Why corporations don't use it in return? Well, before we get into the details and answer some of these questions that you're raising, Jacob, tell us about your background and how this book came about. Well, I, I have my bachelor's degree in the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, then I went to UCLA, and I owe my mat- professional maturity to the United States. I studied for my master's at UCLA, and I, work in the, I worked in the advertising agency on Madison Avenue for about seven years. And, uh, and in the area of research, of marketing research and advertising research. I went to Israel and opened Gallup Israel. This was uh, associated with the Gallup International. My, my research institute was the largest and the oldest in Israel. And uh, I sold it back to the Gallup people in the year 2000 and uh, began to write on the, some startups and uh, on the book. You write in your book, uh, the title of a section, Love Has No Rules, It Is an Instinct. Now, tell us more about that. One of the reasons why I, I, I was surprised and amazed, why do marketing people don't use the term love in their, in their work? And the, one of the reasons I thought is because there's no theory on, uh, of, of love. I went in, in order to see whether the, the, the library can show me that there is a history and theory of love, and I found out a book by the three scientists a neuro- neurologist and a psychiatrist who spend a lot, uh, many years of their time to reach the conclusion that uh, there is no theory of love. If there is no theory of love, it means that this is an instinct that people use when they uh, come to technologies and philosophies. Incidentally, there's a, before we continue, there's a, something I must. Uh, uh, Indicate people think that the Kama Sutra, original Kama Sutra, which was written about 1500 years ago, uh, is uh, is uh, full of illustration of sexual positions. And uh, just the truth is that the book doesn't have even one illustration. That it's is uh, 500 500 pages of. Eighty percent of it is on the philosophy of love, and twenty percent on sexual position. It has no one single illustration at all. So here there is a book that tells you about uh, 
love techniques and raw and philosophy of love in a very open way and uh, it's all based on instinct and not on theory so you have taken this to a more practical level looking at love uh, not so much often in romantic love or sometimes uh, people no, get... I tell you I tell you what I did I decided that if I don't I don't find a theory that matches what I want I will go into analogy ah yes yeah so that's and, what... uh, and then I went and looked in, in different books and I began to shiver when I opened the table <laughs> of content of the Kama Sutra he was talking about how to marry or how to woo your wife, and immediately I said to myself, how to woo the customer. Right. How to marry your wife, and then immediately I said to myself, how to marry a customers. How to treat other men's wives, how to bring customers from another, from another corporation, from a competitor. And immediately, immediately I saw the book, just by reading the table of content. And I realized that I can use to its entirety the, the, the concept of romantic love in the, in the area of marketing. And this is exactly what the book is saying, is doing. At the beginning of each chapter, there is a paragraph taken, a, a sentence taken from the original Kama Sutra. And then I, when I goes on in order to prove that this sentence could be used in the marketing world very easily. Let me give you an example, okay? Please, please. There is a, in the Kama Sutra a very strong case which says that preliminaries and conclusions form part of the act of love. Oh my God, preliminaries, this is exactly what we do. We take, we advertising. We, I don't know if you've been to Abercrombie and Finch store in uh, New York City. You walk in into the store, music of pubs, the, the uh, salespeople are half naked, the, the, the place is dark like you are in a bar at night in the middle of the night. A smell is uh, generated through a special place in the, in the, uh, in the, in the stairway. When you walk inside the store, you feel that the, all senses are activated in order to attract you. This is the preliminary, the, the foreplay in marketing. You try to do it with a sense of, with a touch and with the, with the colors and with music and with the smell. And uh, in, in marketing, the act of love is the ring of the cash register. <laughs> but there is much before that and there is much after that. As a matter of fact, when it comes to the conclusions, many, co many corporation organizations neglect to continue the relationship with the customer after he purchased the product to see whether, how he uses it. It's, uh, they, 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 I, I, I trust that uh, large corporations like Procter & Gamble and uh, Unilever or whatever don't do much in order to continue the relationship with the customer after he buys the product, in order to find out how the family members uses the product. Right. So in other words, the preliminaries in marketing as well, and the conclusions form part of the act of love. This, is still, this was written 1,500 years ago. So your book helps us to understand how to take us to this next level, this higher level of a relationship with our customers. Absolutely. This wooing your customer. Now, you know, we, we obviously can't take this beyond what it is because uh, you can't use the word love. I mean, that will send people uh, wondering what in the world, what kind of intentions do you have here? In marketing, why? A few months, a few weeks ago, Coca-Cola started campaign in Israel. I don't know if they have it in the United States, and they used the word love for the first time hmm. in Israel, so without explaining what it is. And they show a lot of people, young people, enjoying and dancing and drinking and being happy. And the word love is written on the on the ground. Now, one of your chapters, 
One of your chapters is a, is a bit, uh, well, it just has a, a kind of a, a, gets you thinking, almost a shocking kind of uh, title. It says, Part 5, on seducing your competitors' wives. Now, what are you showing? What are, we, what are you focusing on there? Well, this is the area of competition. In trying to bring in uh, the new customers, Look, in order to be consistent with my philosophy, I want to tell you that the, the guy Vatasayana, this is the monk that wrote the Kama Sutra, says, really, I'm not telling you how to steal the wives of other men. What I'm trying to teach you is, is by how to protect your wife, that she will not go to others. But uh, in marketing, I, I, I gave it another twist. I said no. In marketing, we are we want to take uh, fair way uh, competitors, uh, customers. Incidentally, we are saying wives because there is research that indicated 85% of the household purchases are either influenced or made by the woman in America. 85%, and 85% of the of the marketing people are male. So if in 85% of the cases are the male and 85% of the customers are women, there is a, you would understand the reason why I put a, a very big chapter on gender marketing and why I, the analogy of men, women, women is a very solid and very in, and right in the place. So we need so anyhow, to... to go, Yes. We need to listen to women more of their feelings uh, because men obviously don't think like a woman. Exactly, exactly, and you hit it on the nose. I have a, I, I come from the area of marketing research, 50 years of experience. And I come and say, when we, uh, with men you discuss, with women you converse. With men, you use questionnaires. With women, I, I brought a new term, conversationaires, not questionnaires. With women, you need conversation. With men, you discuss. With women, it must, it must be more qualitative. In the area of quality research, in observation, and in, in conversation, and new terminologies altogether. If you want to know exactly how she thinks. Incidentally, 1500 years ago, he said that the guy, the Kama Sutra, that without acquisition of knowledge, you can never succeed in love. I, I said, well, this is great. This guy must have been a marketing researcher. <laughs> 1500 years ago. Absolutely. Right. This should be written, and this should be written on the walls of every university in the world. It's acquisition of there is a sentence there about the acquisition of knowledge. So we talk about is important. We talk about emotional marketing, but you again, you've just taken it to this level where a lot of people feel uncomfortable talking about love. I mean, that's that's why it seems what you just pointed out so important to get women involved in the marketing in your company. Women, women can converse about love easily, much better, but much more than men. And one of the reasons, it says in the beginning of the book, one of the reasons why it's not used in, in, in marketing by marketers, because they are male. And first of all, they don't teach us ever uh, the meaning of love. They, tell, they teach us in high schools uh, how to be careful from love, not how to love, right. but how to be careful. Uh, they were very liberal in those days in India, and they were te they were teaching kids at the age of twelve. And uh, so, anyhow, the, and uh, this is one of the reasons why male are they feel uncomfortable. And uh, the book says, "Don't uh, how it teaches them in a sense how to use it." You don't have to use uh, love in uh, in your marketing philosophy. There are many examples where uh, you prove love 
But let me give you an example if we have time. Yes. I used to I used to frequent a hotel by the name of Stratford Court Hotel in London many, many times. And one day I came late at 4 o'clock. I walked in and put my luggage and ran away to a meeting. Came back at 8 o'clock. And uh, I saw there is a uh, fruits. Well, everybody gets fruits. Wine. Everybody gets wine. But there is a letter. Dear Mr. Levy, a record indicates that you've been with us in the last two years ten times. This time is completely free on us. Wow. <laughs> That's love. They told us we want we we want to marry you. Right. That is love. You've never forgotten that. And there are many more examples in the book about it. I told it to 2,000 people already in my lectures. Well, Jacob, tell us the best way to get your book, Comma Sense Marketing. Comma is spelled K-A-M-A. Obviously, uh, absolutely, take absolutely. off on common sense marketing, but this is uh, it, it Kama, is Kama like common sense because marketing is common sense, right? But and I give it. I, I, I and love is an instinct, and marketing is an instinct. And by golly, why don't they join together? <laughs> so, what's the best way to get your book, Jacob? Well, uh, it's uh, it is in the Amazons and the Barnes and Noble. Uh, it's a hard cover, soft cover, and in electronic versions. And everybody could use it there, could buy it there. Well, thank you so much, Jacob, for joining us on iUniverse Radio. Steve, it was a pleasure. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Congratulations on being the proud owner of an adorable, soft, cuddly, sweet-smelling, smiling, cooing, hungry, tired, gassy, screaming little bundle of joy. So now what? Where's the owner's manual for this thing? Where are my instructions? Right here. It's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Infant care specialist Blythe Lipman has worked with babies for over 20 years and works extensively with new parents providing workshops, in-home visits, tips, and daily phone calls to ease those frazzled nerves. With baby and toddler instructions, you can get the advice you need on how to survive and enjoy your baby's first year. For more information on Blythe and how she can help you, go to babyinstructions.com. From 32 ways to stop a baby from crying to 14 ways to get a baby to eat and so much more, it's Baby and Toddler Instructions with Blythe Lipman on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for iUniverse. This is J. Douglas Barker. Our author today, Stan Yoakum, who has written a book, Unrelenting Nightmare, has joined us before but is back to talk about progress and how it's being received in the marketplace. His chapter one begins like this. Time seemed to slow as the sun beat down on the parched land. Nothing moved or made noise. Only an eerie silence lingered beyond its welcome. And I welcome, not with an eerie silence, but with joy. Stan Yoakum, welcome, sir. Hi, Jay. How are you? <laughs> Good visiting with you. Apologize yeah. for kind of playing with your opening line a little bit, but that gives a, a gives an idea well done. of your well done. Uh, gives an idea of how you write and how you draw people into your storyline. Unrelenting Nightmare has been out for a while. What has been the reaction to your your novel? Well, uh, it's been very it's been received very favorably. Um, I've talked to a lot of people, and a lot of people have contacted me through emails that have written the book, I mean, that have read the book, and told me how much they enjoyed it. Um, it makes me feel good, because that was the purpose of me writing this story. Uh, I always thought it would be a good novel, but um, I've received very pleasurable comments, and it's doing quite well. So This is your second of uh, another one. That you've got a third one that's about to be released. Now, your background is not as an author. You didn't start out in life uh, deciding I was. Uh, the, you were going to support yourself as an author. You'd had other careers, but this one has grabbed you and, and uh, grasped your attention. How did you get interested in becoming an author? Well, I'm asked this question all the time. So uh, I, I have kind of a pat answer. It started when I was in high school. 
I wanted to write, but I realized trying to a few times back then that I didn't know the foggiest idea about how to go about it. I couldn't even get into a story. I continued on and really grabbed my attention after I went through 25, 30 years of business. And I read something that said the best thing to write about is something that you're very aware of, something that you do on a daily basis. And so I kind of looked around the office and I said, geez, you know, I could write about the business world. A lot of authors are out there that write you know, crime fiction and detectives and legal. And all. But I said, I, I don't know of a lot that work in the, in the, specifically in the business world. So that grabbed my attention. And one day I was actually sitting in a seminar listening to, I was a continuing education uh, requirement, and I was sitting there and I just went, oh, I just checked out. And I got up, uh, left, and I went home and I started writing. And from that point on, that was in the year 2000, and I've been writing ever since then. Enjoy it tremendously. So that's what got me into it. And I've enjoyed every minute of it since then. Um, I, like you said, I'm ready to release my third book. All three so far have been in the business world. That's primarily what I write in is suspense novels. You did but, you uh, did get surprised, not surprised, but impressed by laser technology as you were in a uh, college or university setting. That right. impacted some of your thoughts towards writing this book, didn't it? Yes, it did. Um, this is, went way back into the 60s. And when I was, my first degree in college was in theater arts, believe it or not. Hmm. And I was, we were asked to come to a presentation where they showed laser presentations of what could be shown on stage. And even in my book, I describe this very thing, though I take it much further. But it was a, a gentleman stood on stage and they shot three lasers at him and all of a sudden, a forest scene appeared. Now it was very hmm. hazy. I mean, but but the audience could see that it was a forest there. Now he could walk through everything and disrupt all the images and all that. I take it a lot further than that in my presentation. But that just grabbed my attention. And then when virtual reality came out, and I started seeing the development of that, I linked the two together and I said, my gosh, we could create something here with these two technologies that could be very impressive to a lot of people. And that's where my story went. But I kind of go over the edge and, and present the darker side of it and where it might lead society and what, what issues that may cause us in the future. Now, share a little of your character, your main character, Stuart Garrison, or Stu. Oh, Stuart Garrison. Yeah, well, yes. Stuart Garrison is his name. Um, he is the developer of the system. And he's a genius. And no one agrees with his thoughts that, gee, we ought to go off into... Uh, virtual reality. He is is with a company, the major manufacturer of hardware, and they kind of scoff at him saying, you know, hey, we build hardware. Why would we want to go into software? And he says, well, that's what drives the indus industry. It's not the hardware. It's the software that's presented. And so he splits off. Well, the gentleman he makes the presentation to becomes the CEO, eventually, of the big manufacturing company. And when Stuart first presents his new idea of where virtual reality can go from the software standpoint, uh, the competitor says, I need that, and therefore goes after him in the form of hiring an assassin to get rid of him because he's come up with a method that if Stuart's gone, I can take over. So, But Stuart, let me tell you, just as a, he, he's a very interesting character because he's not a real nice man himself. Hmm. <laughs> So I enjoyed writing both sides of that. So That's a scary insight, Stan. <laughs> <laughs> how, yeah. how would you describe your book? I know it's a suspenseful and, uh, you know, fictional work, but mm -hmm. is is there a lot of uh, action outside of the office environment? I mean, is it uh, oh, all over the yeah. place, or how, how, does it, uh, how does it portray itself? Yes, this one, no action really takes place in the... In the um, inside the the world of business uh they're just businessmen and the action takes place with the assassin trying to take out Stuart Garrison uh the FBI comes in stands in place and helps prevent that from happening because the assassin whose name is Nomad has a notorious background and they've been trying to get him for years um so I move all over the place. There's scenes in 
Colorado. There's scenes up in um, Canada, down in New Mexico, in the Bahamas. So I'm moving all over the place, and that creates the the action behind the scenes and everything. And it's it's fun because I move him all around because they're they're moving Stuart. The FBI is moving Stuart from safe house to safe house, so they're trying to keep him out of the way of of. Nomad. Did you set? Uh, did you set the yeah. set the, uh, the the novel in present tense or is it future? Yes, it, yes. it is present tense. Pre- yeah, and that's that. You know, Jay, that's an interesting comment because I first started. I, I wrote this novel way back in two thousand four when I first started writing. After I released my first one and my first novel, and then I came back to it many years later because of an interest in it. I had actually passed it over and submitted the, the third novel that is going to be coming out at the end of this year into our universe before I released this one. We pulled this one back out and re-examined it, and my editors told me, they said, this is the one we need to go with. And I said, oh, well, that's interesting, because I, I've had a lot of interest. People that have read the manuscript and never said, everyone read the manuscript said, this one should be made into a movie. This is just, it grabs your attention. So it was brought back. But... In doing so, coming from 2004 to 2014, I had to change a lot of stuff. <laughs> I made comments about how we'd get a hold of each other through a cell phone. Well, cell phones have changed. Everything has changed since then, so I had to backtrack and, and put it all in perspective uh, because I wanted to keep it in the present tense and, leave, and, and present it at that point in time. So, In your book signing adventures that you've already participated in, what are you finding as far as feedback, and uh, what's the response been? Oh, this, is, this process has just been unbelievable for me. Uh, the first, inter, uh, first questionnaire I ever sent, sent out to anybody, they asked me, what, what is your demographics of your audience? Who do you think it is? And so I kind of sat down and thought to myself, I go, well, it's, it's action-packed. It's got really bad characters and really good characters, but a lot of action in it. And so I said it would be uh, the males between, you know, in their 20s through adult, you know, anyone mm-hmm. any in that area. Well, the first one I went to was uh, at USC, and I stood there and looked at the people. Over 85% of the people, because I kept track of it, were women. Amazing. And, I, and the first time I started, I go, my gosh, do you, do you guys actually like stories like this? They said, oh, yes, we love them. Well, then my second you know, uh, book signing was done at an AARP convention okay. in Boston. All right. Well, now I'm dealing in the age group that's my age. And once again, all I see are women. So I, I really took the time and I said, can you guys tell me how, you know, why you like these stories? Well, I mean, it just shows that my ignorance or just, I, I, I just didn't understand. First of all, women read usually more than men do. True. And that the story really doesn't matter as long as it has the action or that they seek and the suspense and everything that they like. And uh, so I've been surprised by that, the amount of women who have come forth and seek my book. There's a very interesting one. One of them bought, one of them got the um, book in Boston, said she was flying back to San Francisco that night, and she was going to read the novel on the airplane. Mm-hmm. And I looked at it, and I said, across the United States, you're going to read this novel? I said, you must be a fast reader. She goes, I am. I'm very fast. Well, she sent me an email saying how much she enjoyed it. And that really kind of clicked with me. I said, this book is open to everyone. I mean, the, both sides of the like it and i said that's wonderful i'm glad to hear that so that's great news any awards that have popped out of uh, of the release yes yes i have uh i received two so far um the san francisco book festival i received an honorable mention and then also an honorable new york uh beach festival and i'm up for i'm i'm involved in about four other ones that haven't come up yet there are the later part of this year yeah, you've managed to, to pen over 300 pages, about 330 pages. That's a, a yeah. nice size for a, a, a an adventure novel. Uh, the other novels that you've written, are they in the same length, or are they shorter, longer? How did you uh, The first those? one's a little bit longer. Uh, the second one is the same length. They're all in that range, the high 200s or and, and low 300 area. I've tried to keep it to that now, having learned from my first novel. They said this is a little bit long, so I, I cut them back. 
Uh, again, they both take place, or all of them take place in the business world, though they don't involve assassins or anything like that. It's more like your question you asked earlier. They It takes more time involved in the conference rooms and the the, the, the plot development is there as how we get around how the characters get around the issues that are presented to them is is there a chapter or a recapping uh idea that comes out in unrelenting nightmare that you really think is uh, something to take note of yes it's it's buried in the story but it's chapter 19 and this is where i present when stewart steps forward with his friends and talks about where he's taking his new virtual reality system from this step forward and where it's going to go. And the other strong character in the book named Alex steps forward and says, do you understand what this may do to society? And to show you when I said that Stuart Garrison isn't the nicest person, he says, I don't care about society. If I can make money on this thing, then that's what I'm developing. But that's my underlying thought. I, I kind of put it out there saying, boy, we better be concerned about this because I don't see any prevention from this happening because it will draw tremendous interest. If, if, if you read it, you'll find out what I'm saying about it. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a little concerned about it because it's going there, and it already is. I mean, we look at our kids and all the games they can play, virtual reality and shooting it and carrying. I'm going, mm-hmm. yeah, Lee, that's a, not where I'd like to send my kids. It, so. it is scary. We're we're dealing yeah. with that within our family, not the not the violence side, but uh, mm-hmm. just technology. It it yes, gets it gets in the way. Yeah. And kids are getting addicted to it. It's uh, becoming an issue even in uh, transportation, people getting distracted on the roads. Uh, well, you know how it goes. Yep. Uh, I- introducing this book to someone in a couple of sentences, how would you describe it? Well, you're, you're branching into an area that I'm not very strong in, <laughs> marking my own work. I've been asked that question many times, and so I, I simply say, if you like suspense novels, and let me tell you, from my standpoint, my suspense novels, I give the readers both sides of the picture they see the they know exactly what the antagonists are thinking and they know what the protagonists are thinking the suspense is how is the protagonist going to get out of the situation i've created and if you in an in an unrelenting nightmare if you like action this is really action-packed it has some scenes that are very compelling and draw you in so there's one in the bahamas that is very exciting so and the people that have read it have enjoyed it, too. So that's what I'd say. If you like suspense novels and you like action and you like a book that you, it's kind of hard to put down, then you'll, like, you'll enjoy Unrelenting Nightmare. Excellent job, Stan. Thanks for joining me today. The author, Stan Yoakum, the title, Unrelenting Nightmare. Stan, where do we get copies of your book? Uh, that's the way I tell everybody is if you check my website, it's, it's www.stanyoakum.com. And that's spelled Y-O-C-U, and my last name Stan, S-T-A-N, Y-O-C-U-M.com. Uh, I have list. I mean, in it I have available novels, and both of them are up there with a purchase icon right next to it. You hit it, it goes directly to Amazon, and that's about the best place to get it right now because it's the, it's the least expensive. So Fabulous. And uh, okay. just, just, just for your information, please save me a part in your upcoming movie. Uh, it can be oh. it, it can be non-conversational. I can be a background extra, but I just would like to be a part of the process. <laughs> Thank you. I will keep that in consideration, Jay, and I enjoy our talk very much. Thank you, Stan, for joining me today. Again, the book title, Unrelenting Nightmare, our author, Stan Yoakum. For iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu, Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown, and after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. 
Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Spy Subs in Sweden, a trilogy, and the author is Parker F. Campbell. And Parker joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Parker. Great to hear your voice today, Steve, and uh, thanks for calling. Look forward to talking about Spy Subs in Sweden. Go ahead. Well, uh, all I can say is move over James Bond, right? That's what it says. <laughs> I mean, we got a new number one spy hero. That's right. Captain Peterson Smith. And he's got quite a resume here, folks. Formerly of the U.S. Navy, of course, a U.S. Navy SEAL. Uh, son of a famous senator, he's an F-14 pilot, an intelligence specialist, and he does all that with one har- one arm tied behind his back, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so he can is, you believe it? Yeah, well, I can because you know, I mean, James Bond was cool, but hey, it's the 21st century. That says it. That, that says it. That's it, right? That's it. So before we get that's into right. more about Captain Peterson Smith and all the different aspects of spy subs in Sweden, give us a little bit about your background, Parker, and how this book came about. Steve, I'm glad you asked me that because um, in a way it's a life's work. There's three novels that are uh, in this trilogy, Mini Sub 83, Mini Sub 99, Mini Sub 2010. So the idea, it all started, believe it or not, with an idea. I want to tell you a little story, and I think it's instructive. I, I know a young lady, she works uh, at a coffee shop, she's a barista, and she's studying English. And I was talking to her one day, and she said, You know, I'm studying English, I don't know what to do with myself, but I want to write. But here's the problem I need an idea. Okay, so this is me back in 1983 and uh, but what happened the Russians ran a, a sub aground in southern Sweden and in the press they called it uh, Whiskey on the Rocks and it was uh, you know it was uh, embarrassing to the Russian government and the Swedish government and um, it, it uh, gave me an idea and then there was uh, articles after that about many subs in the same area, the Baltic. And so I was saying to myself, I said, you know, wouldn't it be great if there was a James Bond kind of guy that could hop into this situation and and take care of it for Sweden? You know what I mean? That was my idea. So uh, I sort of started from there. I did an, an outline. It took me a couple months to do that. And then once I did that, I started uh, doing chapters. And about a year later, this is 1984, I had a novel. The other two novels were completed around one about 2000, one about 2003, along in there. So I, I, had, I had a trilogy. That's sort of how it happened. Well, how is Spy Subs in Sweden just different? It is different. And um, I'm going to go over a little bit why that is. Uh, Spy Subs in Sweden... It's by Jenner, of course, and it's dominated in literature, you know, in the, in the last century anyway. It was dominated by British Secret Service. You know, people people like James Bond, George Smiley in the uh, Le Carre series, Austin Powers. I don't know if you saw the movie. I saw all three of them. I've seen all the Bond movies. Uh, spy Subs and Sweet presents a former U.S. Navy SEAL as the world's number one spy hero. But guess what? He's in Europe. It's both sides, of the, both sides of the pond. So here we have a character which is going to attract interest from both North America and Europe. Okay. And he's a former U.S. Navy SEAL. And what happens, he doesn't get involved with British Secret Service. It's the Royal Swedish Navy. Okay. Also, also we're talking about what's different here now. This is the 21st century. We get regular reports. We, we have a rover. U.S. has a rover up on, uh, I guess, Curiosity, uh, wandering around on Mars, picking up information. We get regular reports back. Uh, 
what are we going to discover up there? What do you think Curiosity, the rover, is going to discover? So Spy Subs in Sweden addresses the new issues of, the, of this century, and it addresses planet Mars. In the third novella of the trilogy, Captain Peterson Smith engages a supervillain, would you believe it, whose tentacles explain, extend all the way to planet Mars. Did James Bond ever engage planet Mars? No. Did did the Terminator ever <laughs> engage? You know what I mean? Yeah, planet well, Mars? Exactly. No. No. <laughs> did, did, did Indiana Jones no. ever get up to planet Mars? No. Yes, that's okay. another no. <laughs> so Peterson Smith is the redefinition of the spy hero. He's a Viking spy hero, and he gets involved with 21st century issues. So is that why but, this book is important? It is important. That's right. And when you redefine something, I mean, I mean people, how many bomb movies have there been? 23? Uh, yeah, a bunch. Something like that. Yeah. It's, it's something like that. I've seen, if not all of them, I've seen 22 at least, you know what I mean? And uh, I have fun with it. I don't take it too seriously, but it's action-packed adventure. And this is the kind of thing that brings people into the into the um, into the uh, theaters. But let me ask you this. Has there ever been a mini-sub film or a mini-sub novel? And I can answer that question. The answer is no. There's been a submarine novel. You remember the uh, Hunt for Red October? Definitely. Remember that one? James Bond. (laughs) Yeah. There he was. And uh, that was Jack Ryan, I think. Anyway, there was a uh, giant squid novel. Do you remember 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea? Right. Do you remember Anaconda? Uh-huh. Or was it Anaconda 1, 2, and 3? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the giant snake movie, you know, remember that? Giant eight films. I saw both versions of King Kong. Robot films. You remember, have you seen Iron Man? I've seen Iron Man 1, 2, and 3. Mm-hmm. And uh, great movies. But never, never a mini soap novel. So th- this is an original concept. So this uh, is, this I, movie, I mean, this trilogy you feel is destined for the film, for the big screen. I would say it's got what it takes to go to the top. And I will, and we'll talk about that as, as we go along. Um, yeah, and this mini-sub idea has never been... I mean, you remember... Did you did you see Iron Man? Oh, yes. Yeah, so in the last one, there's, a lot, there's an army of these Iron Men. And, and the, the whole idea could be proliferated. I mean, I only have three in the novels, and they keep getting even more fantastic, right? But the idea is something, it's like a super Iron Man, under, under, underwater Iron Man. I, I, I often refer to the novel as uh, the series, it's a series really, Underwater Bond, you know? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I like this idea of why is it always British Secret Service? Get serious. This has run its course. What about a good old U.S. Navy SEAL guy as the world's number one spy hero? Well, and I think we've become more aware of Navy SEALs in the last few years than ever. It's just the news has talked about them, you know, for unfortunately uh, uh, there's been some uh, very serious news about them, uh, tragic. That's right. That's right. But it brings to mind, yeah, it just kind of brings it, uh, it your, your timing is perfect. Yeah. There is there is uh, an issue of timing here. Now, another thing, Russian espionage, right? So the character is involved with combating Rus- Russian espionage in the Baltic. And uh, we know right now, in terms of being topical, Russian espionage is a big issue. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Very big. Now, I, th- I, th- I think that it become, the novel could become topical for that reason, although this is, frankly... It's aimed at the entertainment market. <laughs> this is not what we call. Um, it's 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 aimed at entertainment. Sure. And uh, it's a fantasy, and uh, but it's a fun fantasy. And uh, I'm going to talk about that as we go along. Um, but Captain Peterson Smith, and another thing, we say, why is it important? He confronts a, a superior force. There's no doubt. Russia is number one in Europe. There's no maybe not with the United States in the picture, but certainly in terms of European countries, Russia outclasses any any of these countries in, in having in military stuff. They're way ahead. So he's he, he's directly involved with this, and of course it's 
not easy to do this. So you have to respect the guy, you know what I mean? And um, another one of my dreams was to do what for America, what Ian Fleming did for Great Britain. Mm-hmm. In other words, Ian, Ian Fleming, you know, established James Bond as the world's number one spy hero. Why not have Captain Peterson Smith be the world's number one spy hero? And not a British Secret Service guy, but 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 uh, a former U.S. and Navy SEAL. Catch what I'm doing here. I'm unifying, as a concept anyway, uh, North America and Europe. And uh, one of the problems with Navy SEALs here, here's the, here, I'll say it in a question. Where is the European glamour? You know what I mean? And we'll talk about that as we go along. But, you know, royalty, the Bond girls, all this kind of stuff. How how do we get that in? You know what I mean? Because <laughs> that's what people go to see. Sure. You know what I mean? Sure, of course. Yeah. They yeah. love European royalty, and even though we don't have it in America, but still people people love to see that stuff in the film. You know, so the all these things, all, kind of the, all these things and are so, just destined for your book to, of course, destined for the big screen, and also destined to be a bestseller. Yeah. Well, let's take a step back. If you want to succeed, say I want to succeed, or the book is going to succeed in the film industry. Well, what do you think they need? You have to look at what what is it that the film industry needs. What is the film industry? It's the silver screen. It's a visual industry. They need something, someone they can do something with in their medium, which is visual. And, you know, an Indiana Jones, a James Bond, a, a, a Arnie Schwarzenegger kind of character. You know, the Terminator, this kind of thing. And, of course, Captain Peterson Smith is this in spades. Action figure personified, underwater sequences, Travel to exotic locations in Russia and elsewhere, sequences on dry land, and uh, I'll say it like this, and, and the third novel, he's out of this world. And uh, so this, this is the kind of thing that can make people step, step back and look. In the film industry, they're looking for ideas, uh, broad appeal, and uh, he's got it all. And, and, go, and, uh, and going I, up... I think it's, and going up against some very wicked, evil, uh, you know, adversaries, obviously. Oh, of course, of course. But frankly, I, I want I want to qualify that and say this is fiction, and it's directed at the entertainment industry. I mean, like, so like, remember Goldfinger? Did you see that movie? Sure. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, Goldfinger was an insidious, <laughs> but he was also a, you had to laugh at the same time, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, there's and that so, little, little uh, tongue-in-cheek throughout the movie, definitely. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Right. So, European glamour, we've just got a few minutes left, why don't you... Uh, Tell us a little bit how that has to do with the spy hero. What's the importance of that? Well, um, European grammar is a component of the Bond franchise, and it's something uh, we have Hollywood grammar, uh, glamour, Hollywood glamour, but we don't have European glamour in the sense of royalty. Uh, and, uh, you know, action and glamour is what makes something work on the, on the, on the screen. Uh, so Spy Steps in Sweden offers a jump tri- shift from British glamour in action to Scandinavian or Viking glamour in action. Not Pierce Brosnan, Roger Moore, Sean Connery, and the Bond girls, but now these, these are speculative. Who are some well-known Swedes who, who could play this role? What about Ola Rapace? You ever hear of him? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Gary Hedlund. He was in Country Strong, I think. And um, Marlene Okerman, she's a big actress now. So these, these are the kind of actors or actresses that would be in this type of movie. A mm-hmm. Viking spy hero. And I, I, I wanted to uh, drop back a little bit. Readability is something that I put into these this book. And I'll tell you how I did it. I did a master's, and my master's had to do with word frequencies. 
letter and word frequencies. So you see the influence of it in the book. I'm having fun with words. And uh, it's a word celebration. And I think when you read it, you'll see the influence that having words, uh, you know, frequencies, because there's unusual word, uh, an original word usage in, in the novel. So I hope hopefully the uh, reader will get something out of that. Well, we just have uh, just a little bit of time left. We certainly have to talk about Captain Peterson Smith as an action figure. He is... Five Seven Sweden and Captain Peterson Smith are truly out of this world. When did James Bond go to Mars? I mentioned that. When did Indiana Jones go to Mars? I mentioned that. When did the Terminator go to Mars? Mars? <laughs> the sequences are underwater, on dry land, and can you believe it, in outer space. Captain Peterson Smith is the ultimate action figure. The action sequences are constant, unique, dramatically different, and out of this world. Do you want me to give you the... Um, you can see the Kirkus reviews were really positive. You can get that on the Internet. Very good. As were Kirkus review was very positive, as was the um, forward reviews. I think it's also called Clarion Review. Mm-hmm. You can pick it, pick it up on the Internet. And you can also and, go uh, to YouTube and see a book trailer just by putting in Spy Subs in Sweden. Google it. Yeah. There's, if you Google it uh, or just set it in the, uh, the YouTube, search engine right. and under YouTube, it right. comes up. It comes up. It's a beauty. They did a great job on it and uh, made me feel great. You know, the publisher would do that. And uh, so, so that's so sort of. Uh, so where do we my, get your book? Uh, What's the best way to get your book, Parker? Okay, I'll just Google it. But you can go to uh, iUniverse.com. You can go to uh, BarnesandNoble.com, and it'll pop up. And it's it's everywhere. It's it's worldwide on on internet at your local bookstore. But uh, you know, if you if you have any problems, just go to BarnesandNoble.com or iUniverse.com, and you can uh, you can order. And uh, I hope you have some fun. And uh, I, I want to say one final thing: if the reader could have one tenth the fun. I had putting this together one tenth the fun. One tenth the fun. All right. I'll, I'll be. A, uh, I feel I, I will have succeeded. I'll well, leave you with that. Well, move over, James Bond. Captain Peterson Smith is here. He's in the book Spy Subs in Sweden, a trilogy, and we've been listening to the author Parker F. Campbell. Thank you for joining us on iUniverse Radio. Thanks for calling today, Steve iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge.